at the end of the day, your personality is broken down by how you think, feel, and act. We take two of those things out the moment they get a little bit difficult and you're just stuck with acting. And that can, wow. and those actions can take you places that you really don't want to be. Most people are walking around telling a life story about themselves that they didn't write and don't align with. Stories tend to be emotional, and we not only tend to avoid our emotions, but we often are also describing our emotions using words others have given us. Today's episode is an interview with Josiah Sanchez, a human being who's gone from, as he words it, an ADHD kid to an awakened leader. On his journey, he created the Forgotten Mindset brand, and it's a pretty cool one. From clothing to coaching, he's a man on a mission to help you access the conscious parts of yourself that truly know who you are and can help you write your true life story through emotion. By the end of the episode, you'll be able to better answer the question, where do the stories in my head really come from? Enjoy, humans. Josiah Sanchez, thank you so much for coming on the Human First podcast. Please do us a favor and tell us about you as a human being. So as you just said, my name is Josiah Sanchez. I am a emotional intelligence and behavioral management coach. A little bit about me, kind of what makes me human is my ability to feel. One of the things that I've always had, just kind of something about me is I feel so deeply for people and that's almost come to a fault at times because I'll take on other people's way a little bit too much without giving back to myself. And I was a huge fixer to a fault for a long time. So I would definitely say that one of the things that makes me human first and foremost is my my ability to feel for people and feel with people. Oh. question. That is such a good answer. That's such a good answer, especially because when I think about neurobiology and the way our brain is programmed, one of the most human things about us that's easy to recognize is like our ability to think, right? Because that's mm -hmm. different than like animals, mammals, whatever, but also the ability to think about how we're feeling emotionally and how that can relate to how other people are feeling. The connection between thinking and feeling is so human. And I just love that. That's such a good answer. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> That's so great. Now tell me a little bit about your why. So you said you're a coach. What do you coach and why? So I'm huge in NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming, which is the language of the mind, essentially. Mm. And it's a big thing that I wanted to really kind of share with people and really guide people through because thinking and feeling is something that we all talk about is important, but very few people actually do it. The moment a little bit of discomfort and that uncertainty and doubt gets there, it's almost like, okay, let me avoid this. Let me neglect this. I'll just deal with it. And so a huge part of my why is, you know, growing up, I had ADHD and I was on tons of medication, Zoloft, Ritalin, and a patch, right? Wow. Simultaneously at one point. And so for me, I want, I want to be that person that I didn't get growing up to teach me about myself and how I individually thought and felt through my eyes and how I see the world. Every answer that you're giving is just like, yes, I'm so glad you're on the show. I work with people who are feeling hopeless or worthless or losing like the, the, they feel like there's no purpose or meaning to life. And like my answer, you know, I'm very existential, but my answer is always like, there isn't really, you know, purpose or meaning to life other than what you make it, you know? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, the most people that I find are the most joyful are taking their experiences 
the good, the bad, the ugly, and Mm -hmm. turning them into the why, into the reason, into the purpose, even if it can just help one person. So dead on again, Josiah. (laughs) Honestly, and I love that you said that because essentially everything that we encounter and endure in this life is basically our interpretation of it. So one person's meaning and purpose is, well, actually anybody's purpose and meaning is completely different from from yours. But again, it's how you think and feel about those things that give meaning. I'm I'm a huge believer in saying purpose and meaning comes from within. There's nothing external or existential that that can provide that for you. It's your interpretation of it, no matter what. So you can find your purpose and meaning in simply being, or you can find it in doing things like what you and I do, right? It's, it's very uh, unique to each individual. And I think finding that is vital to each human being on this earth. Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everybody's going to die. Come watch TV. It really is. Like, that's the point, right? Like at the end of our life, that's what we want to know. We want to know that our life had meaning. We want to know that our life has, has purpose. I have a list of questions down here, but I'm mm-hmm. realizing that I actually want to know more okay. about neuro-linguistic programming. So normally in these episodes, we start with defining the keywords and we do have some keywords to define here, emotional intelligence, emotional awareness, what is our life story? But what is like, we're going off script for a moment. I should, I should know this. I don't. What is, I mean, I can assume what it is based off the name neuro-linguistic programming, (laughs) but can you tell us more about what it actually is? So it's essentially how you view your specific model of the world. It's using your senses and how your mind will uniquely use your sight, uh, your sight, your vision, and your hearing to be able to mold and give the things in life meaning. And what it does is it breaks things down to how you view things, how you perceive things. And one of my favorite things about it is you can take any experience, any experience that may have been traumatic, it may have been uh, hurtful, it may have been a loss, it could be anything. And through neuro-linguistics, you can go back to that experience and almost reinterpret how you let that experience mold you, affect you, or guide you. And it's it's an amazing thing here. And it's a big thing that I want to actually take you through real quick is you're on the mic right now, right? You probably have a lot of thoughts and emotions going on throughout your day, uh, just based on what you've done today. I want you to dissociate yourself from yourself right now. I want you to look at yourself from third person right? You can see yourself from a different view. You see yourself sitting there. You see the mic in front of you. Is there any, or is, is there many thoughts and emotions running through your mind? Yeah. Which, which thoughts and emotions, or is there any at all? Yeah. It's weird. It's like, I feel like I've stepped out of my experience and the thoughts and feelings they're different. They're not the ones active in the moment, me talking in the microphone. They're like perhaps thoughts and feelings about those thoughts and feelings, which allow me to separate from them. Exactly. A big thing with that, and I take all my clients who I love it, is you're no longer in your feelings. You're looking at them. So you can recognize them, have them be present, but not have them be what guides you through it. Because obviously, you know, if someone's talking or if you're talking to somebody about something that you're struggling with, right, them being outside of you, they seem to have a solution right then and there, right? Mm. So when you can be that for yourself, you can dissociate yourself like your mind is going to put together that different angle of the room without you physically looking at it. So you're automatically looking at yourself, separating yourself and observing what's going on, behaviors, your body language, you know, kind of how you're looking while these things may be weighing on you. And it allows you that break and separation from being in everything and being very impulsive, very reactive to, okay, this is what's going on. I get a little break from just having the thousands of thoughts running through my head. 
now I can approach this a little bit better. So dissociation and association, you know, is in your feelings and then looking at your feelings essentially is what it is. And it's one of my favorite things like taking people through. And you can do that with even previous experiences as well. And you can start seeing them almost like a movie, as if you're sitting in a movie theater and you're watching that experience. You don't hold, it doesn't hold that same weight. It's a different weight, but it's not as heavy as you being in it, looking at it through your eyes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for breaking that down. And it seems like it relates to like, so this was like an in the moment, like what are the thoughts and feelings that I'm experiencing? And then kind of stepping out of that, mm-hmm. how does this all play into like our life story? Like, so when, if we're defining like life story, mm-hmm. like what is that? What is our life story that we tell ourselves? I think that's going to be simply based on the individual, right? And what I mean by that is a lot of our stories are actually not written by us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. They're they're written by teachers growing up, our parents, the people around us, the people on social media. We're allowing our lives to be written by the thoughts and decisions of some somebody else and not ourselves. And so when it comes down to writing your own story, it's one thing that I love doing with the people that I speak with, you know, client or not, friend, family, whichever. Acknowledge right now. What do you have right now? What do you feel is missing from your life as far as that sense of purpose or those small things that may give your life meaning? If your story up until this point, up until this chapter, if you will, has not been fulfilling or directionalized or optimized, how can you grab the pen back, grab the pencil and continue writing the rest of your story? And that's going to come from acknowledging you. You know what? What do you know about yourself? Not the things you do, not the things you have, but you. What makes you human? kind of tying it in with the, with the podcast here. A lot of people can't really explain that very much. I can, you can talk about your kids or your friends for hours, but people come and bring that question to you. And you're just like, well, you know, I do this, you know, for a living. I got, I got this house. I got this car. And it's like, I didn't ask you what you had. I asked you who you were Oh my God. or what, or, or what makes you, you. And so it comes down to where it's like, when you can acknowledge that, then you're like, oh my gosh, I've, put my identity in my life direction in someone else's hands. It's, it's always been in mine, but we're just not taught this growing up. Yeah. We're taught a very, a critical way of thinking and not, you know, that deeper sense of meaning style of thinking that comes from truly acknowledging you first and foremost. Yes. Yes. I still, I still, when people are like, so who are you? I'm like, I'm a therapist. They're like, no, like, who are you? I'm a mom. No. And no. like, you know, and all these years later, I'm like, oh my God. Like even, and I'm, sometimes I'm on air and they're like, tell me about yourself. I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. And then I actually dissociate from what's going on in the moment. And somehow I just blurt out what's going on because I've feeling too much. And like, yep. so I liked what you said. It's like, we can actively dissociate in a way more psychologically to Mm -hmm. take a step back and figure out what's going on. And that's different than like physiological dissociation. Like Mm -hmm. what, like when our brain is just like, nope. And like turns it off. So that's interesting. I like seeing, I like kind of talking about those differences. So we have our life story Mm -hmm. that is fused by tons of other people, tons of other influences and we have emotions flowing throughout our whole life and and emotions within those stories. So how what is emotional awareness and is that different than emotional intelligence? There is a difference. So emotional awareness is me saying, okay, you know what? I am distraught. I am feeling upset, right? That's the awareness. The intelligence is it comes in and it says, okay, what are we going to do with this emotion? 
Mm. Right. So it's the recognition and then the direction, as I like to say. Right. And I think that's a big thing too. articulating emotions. We live in a day and age where we're either happy, sad, mad, or it's good or bad. You're generalizing things that broken down into I was excited. I was curious. I was interested. I was in awe. I was uh, taken back. I was I was frustrated. I was hopeless. I was helpless. I was I was feeling despair. I was feeling anguish. I was feeling loss. Right. When you can break it down to the finer words, it allows more specificity. I think that's a word. We're going to go with it. Yeah, um, it is. More specificity with like, you know what? Here's where these emotions came about. Here's exactly what caused it rather than always feeling bad. Well, what made you feel bad? Well, there's this, 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 and this. And this, 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 and this are five actual different emotions from confusion to lack of clarity. And it's like when you can articulate your emotions, you're bringing that awareness forth. And so now it's like, and I actually just made a reel about this. It's understanding behaviors, right? And that's where the intelligence comes from. So if you're angry, right? The first thing that's going to come to mind is like, how can I react? What do I want to do in this situation that not only shows I'm angry, but it's very, it's very reactive. It's very impulsive, right? The intelligence is going to come in and say, well, okay, what triggered, what cued that anger, right? Okay. Well, it's this, it's how they spoke to me. It's the, it was the tonality, their body language. It was almost offensive. Okay. Did you react in a way that actually helped? Well, no, but I, did you react in a way that helped? Well, no. Okay. So what would it look like if it went a little bit better? Would you have maybe taken a step and returned back to the conversation afterwards? Would you have stopped and paused for a little bit and listened before hearing just to react or respond, right? It's recognizing, okay, here's what I did and it did not help. Mm -hmm. Right. So how can I switch that? How can I shift that moving forward? Or how can I manage and regulate this as it's flowing towards me? Can I take deeper breaths? Can I dissociate? Right. And the same thing goes with good emotions. What does spark your creativity? What does get your interest up? Right. What does give you that sense of escape and flow? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the awareness. And then the intelligence is saying, what am I going to do with it? Or what can I do with it? Or how can I bring it about? That is brilliant. It feels like, yeah, okay, people listening probably hear the term emotional intelligence all the time, probably hear the term emotional awareness all the time. And I love that it's kind of like a two-step process. Like like, like they're, they're one and the same, but they're different because you need to be aware first of what's going on. What emotions are you actually experiencing? And I love the way that you broke it down. Like we've, we've all seen the feelings wheel, right? And mm -hmm. we're mostly in the middle of the wheel. Like I'm mad or I'm happy. And like the wheel expands out and you're like, damn. And that's probably, that's not even the full complexity of human mm -hmm. emotional experience. And so that takes so much work. You could spend like weeks, months diving into the feelings wheel on therapy. And then intelligence on top of that is like, so yeah, what are we going to do with this? Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? How do we increase this feeling or decrease this feeling? And all of that plays into our life story because stories evoke emotion, even mm -hmm. when we hear other people's stories. And so the story that we're telling ourselves is influencing the emotions that we're having. Also, I feel like I'm like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a beautiful thing because I mean, at the end of the day, your personality is broken down by how you think, feel, and act. We take two of those things out the moment they get a little bit difficult and you're just stuck with acting and that can, wow. and those actions can take you places that you really don't want to be. Yes, so, exactly. Huge, huge. So what, let's talk about the history a little bit of just emotions. Like mm -hmm. 
emotional intelligence, emotional awareness, like being open to discussing emotions, like gender differences, right? Mm -hmm. Like oh, just all the things in our culture and our society when it comes to emotions. What do you think is important for our listeners to know? Everybody feels. Nobody is exempt from feeling. All right. And I think especially getting into, you know, those gender roles, you know, personally, and I, this, I may get a few different reactions from this, but I think men and women technically feel the exact same. Women are just more open to expressing them. Men are obviously taught to suck it up, push it aside, be a man. And at the end of the day, we are all trying to feel something. So what you don't feel, you're going to replace that with another feeling that's also has avoidance and negligence attached to it. So men typically will drink, they'll go to bars, they'll spend money and, and they'll do things that they're trying to feel something because they've numbed out everything else. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that we're really getting into a day and age, and I love it, where mental health is spoken about much more frequently. All right. However, I do believe it's almost a trend with how people talk about it, but they don't do anything about it. But I don't want to get like riled up or anything. Yeah. Um, but I think we've gotten to a point where the old blueprint for living life, we are now facing the repercussions and the mental illness and we have all these suicides. We have all these things that are accumulating now from that older way of living of negligence and just get through it, push it aside. You know what? Like just get over it. Now we're truly seeing the effects of something that we thought was the way we're supposed to live, not the way that we, that actually defined living, which incorporates thinking and feeling with that. Oh, so good. Okay. First, well, everything you just described was so great. You said a, you said the word blueprint, and then you said the word negligence, and my mind went straight to blueprints and like the industrial revolution and how it's mm-hmm. like work nine to five, do do do, and then negligence. It's like I had an episode when my podcast—I don't even know what it was called. I've changed the name twice already. It's <laughs> the third rendition, and I was talking to one of the world's biggest suicide advocates. Jazz Thornton. And we were talking about generational differences and how mental health and emotions have been avoided for so long. But she said something really cool. She mentioned that like, yes, have the older generations been negligent when it comes to emotional health or mental health? Of course they were, however, not negligent to the things that were important to them during their generations, which was like, how can we keep our society intact as we're going through the second world war, as we are building up who we are as a country. And so it's like, am I pissed off as hell that we ignored emotions for as long as we did? Absolutely. And giving grace and space to what it is that they did, the foundations that they did set for civil rights and for the freedom of our country. And regardless of how messed up it is now. Um, Like, you know, they, they set good foundations, but I think that you're, I mean, you're just dead on that. Yes. We're in this turning point right now of emotional availability in society. Mm -hmm. Like society itself has become more emotionally available. We can have a better relationship with society because the society is more emotionally available and that's super important, but it was forgotten. Mm -hmm. Emotions were forgotten. And that leads me into talking about your brand because I was like, I was like, hmm, sounds familiar. <laughs> We're getting into it. We're getting into it. So your brand, your branding or your brand or your company, please let me know, um, is called the forgotten mindset. Mm-hmm. What is that? And why is it important? 
So Forgotten Minds, I'm actually like, I didn't purposely wear it. It just kind of happened that way. But Forgotten Mindset was built in 2017, right? It was actually Mindset but before the Forgotten was attached to it. Now, the entire basis of Forgotten Mindset is remembering what you're capable of mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, when life demands it most, right? It's very easy to talk about what you want to do when things get difficult or when you get to this point, when you have that conversation. But the moment it actually comes up, we're, we often forget our capabilities when it's, it's time to go. And it's like, I, I have, I got the whole thing, like made into a canvas too, but forgotten mindset is simply remembering what you're capable of when life demands it most. And that could be from love to compassion, to reassurance, to understanding, to strength, to resilience, to any and all emotions, everything can be used to your advantage and everything that you spoke about before those difficult moments came arising, they're still there. And of course, the weight of things set in, but that doesn't mean that they're any less capable of getting you through it. And so very like base level, like that's essentially what it is, just remembering who you are and remembering what you have the capabilities to do. I love that you say that and like to do that when your life demands it the most, because mm -hmm. my mind went to like, okay, the human brain is so fascinating, so complex and so dumb <laughs> because in moments where we experience heightened stress or we need to be on, or we're feeling like it's the most, one of the most important parts of our lives or one of the most scary, mm -hmm. um, our, the front of our brain shuts the hell off and yep. we are like in our survival brain and in our emotional brain. And so we're feeling emotions, but instead of having all three of our, this is so simplified, all three of our brain parts connected, the frontal logical thinking, mm -hmm. the middle emotional, the bottom survival, the front parts kind of cut off and it's our emotional brain and our survival brain talking to one another. Now in the moment of survival, the brain isn't going to remember that you're loved, that you're worthy. Your brain is going to remember all the ways that you may not be loved in that moment or that you may not be worthy in that moment because remembering those things are going to help keep you alive. So your brain thinks. Mm -hmm. But what I love about what you're saying is that you're saying like, don't forget to like infuse your whole brain together. Like you can think and pull up mm -hmm. memories and pull up what you experienced in your coaching sessions or in your therapy sessions, like to help give a trigger to activate the full brain and kind of pull yep. out of the survival part and into like the most logical, like, is it logical for me to just be beating the hell out of myself right now emotionally? Like it's not, but we don't think that because we literally are barely thinking we're just trying to survive through our emotions in the moment. It's, it's, it's an entire survival instinct, as you said, and it's, and that's, and that's another cool thing with, with NLP as well, because you can create these mental cues that turn subconscious into conscience. And it's like once things that you didn't quite recognize, you've now placed a certain amount of importance on, you've put a cue on it towards like, Hey, if this happens, you should know by certain anchors and things like that, that we've placed that, okay, this is this is my time. Okay. This is when I would typically act like this. And this is where that emotional intelligence comes into play. This is when I would typically shut down fight or flight. Mm, I'm flying. I'm out. Wait a minute. This is exactly what I went over during this session. Whenever my coach or therapist said this, let me take a, a quick breath, a quick breath. Let me be very here. Let me be mindful, right? Let me just stop for a quick second. What would my best self want me to do right now? 
If, if my best friend was standing right next to me, what would they tell me right now? If I was my own best friend, what would I like to, what would I like to hear? That's when it's certain things that kind of click in and those cues are like, Oh, perfect. Let's, let's go forward slowly, but surely at the end of the day. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. So we have emotional awareness, being aware of our feelings, Hmm. but then we have emotional intelligence and something that just came up for me, as you were saying, like anchors and cues was my mind went to like, okay, normal intelligence, right? Like we think that we have to just know, we have to just know everything when we take this test, for example, like, you know, regular IQ. Yeah. We take this test. We have to memorize it. We shouldn't be able, we should, we should be able to give the speech with no cue cards. We should memorize exactly what our presentation is and like what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of people think that sometimes, and even I think that like I was meeting with my therapist the other week and I was like, you know, I was told by LinkedIn, cause I'm doing these I'm an instructor for LinkedIn. Now they're like, you need to memorize more of what you want to say so that there aren't so many cuts. And I'm like, shit, that's like, I'm just like not good at that. Cause I'm so anxious. And he was like, you can push back a little if you need to. Like he said, and this is what he explained to me. He said, the podiums on stages, they're tilted towards you for a reason. Like they're at an angle so you can put your notes on them and give an an amazing speech. And like, nobody can see your notes, but everybody knows that there's notes there. Like that's what the podium is for. And -hmm. so when I think about like being intelligent and like, we think we have to know it all when it comes to emotional intelligence too, it's not just memorizing what your emotions are and then knowing exactly what to do in any given moment. Naturally, sometimes you can have anchors and cues and Mm -hmm. things that allow you to shift one way or another. And so that sounds a lot like the potential to, to not only rewrite the story that you've had in the past, but also taking that emotional intelligence from that story and what you've learned to have anchors and cues of how to be emotionally present in the moment and rewrite your story into the future, how, you know, differently than it may be on the path to being written. So what does that look like to take control of your story or to rewrite your story? I think a hundred percent, every single one of us, anybody who may be watching or listening, you know, there's a certain part of your life that you wish you had and like right in front of you right now. I just want to be this. I just want to not have this. I just want to, I want this. I don't want this. I want this. I don't want this. Right. Okay. So in order to bring that to you, what can you essentially do right now, right? If you were to, if you were to put everything that you've ever wanted into a to-do list, right? One thing I like to create with all my clients is we have a to-do list, create a for you list, right? Your to-do list is your obligations, right? Laundry, clean the car, clean the room, clean the dishes, right? Your for you list is going to be, how can I give back to myself? How can I give to this goal that I wanted to set? How can I give back to my relationship? How can I give back to you know, this and the third, All right? So it's being able to sit and say, I want these things. We're going to focus on how, on how much I want this. We're not going to focus on how much I don't want. Cause by not wanting something, your mind has to put a mental spotlight on it just to let you know you don't want it. So what do you want? Okay. Now, what can you do to be able to get to that point? Small steps, right? I was talking to my boy Nico a while back and he said, we talk so much about taking big leaps. Just start by stepping off the curb. I also added uh, in this dip your feet in the water. Some people will jump all the way in the water, but some of us have to feel the water, get adjusted, go a little bit more in, a little bit more in, a little bit more in, and all of a sudden we're swimming. All right. So when it comes to rewriting 
your story, again, as we kind of mentioned at the beginning of this, you have to recognize you can't gain control back in the same place you lost it. So you have to be able to see where exactly things went missing. You started placing your identity and your power in all these external places. Being able to take that back is difficult because you're asking yourself to do something that you've become accustomed to. So it's basically saying, okay, small steps. What, what would it look like if I had these things in my life? Right? How would I feel? Right? How would I know I was there? And a big thing I like to say is what obstacles will I, will I have already overcome mm. once I get to that point? Because once you say that, you're almost placing your mind in, well, here's a few things that you would overcome, procrastination, you know, justifying or putting exceptions on your boundaries, you know, more reaction rather than responses, these bad habits, these bad spending habits, whatever. Right. You're basically saying, okay, here's literally in in a bundle, all the obstacles that you would have overcome. So make sure that you place something there to replace that time spent. Because I think personally, creating new habits is easy. It's replacing that time with something new that you haven't done where the problem comes into place. Right. Because it's easy to say, I want to do this. I would rather do this. Well, you're so used around this time to doing this, or you're so used to spending this time, you know, smoking weed or drinking or having, or doing alcohol or being obsessed with, you know, pornography, whatever it is, you're obsessed with all these different things. So how can you replace that time to be able to create something worth writing that you're proud of, that's meaningful, that has purpose. I tell people do things on purpose with purpose. Because On you wait purpose things, with purpose. Because if you wait for things to happen by accident, they're going to accidentally slip away from you again. Yeah, that's so true. Wow, that's super true. Oh my God, okay. Thank you so much for that. I feel like the way that you speak has so much passion behind it. And I hear that a lot too from me. And it's like, it's it's usually when people are talking about something like the work that they've done themselves. And mm -hmm. so I wanna know more about that. You used yeah. to be a bodybuilder. Right. Yes. How did yes. you get, how did you go from that to where you are today? And, and, and what is your relationship now when it comes to taking care of your body? Has that changed emotionally at all? So I'm going to try to like bundle this up. Cause I have a <laughs> habit of rambling on with this. That's the ADHD kind of kicking in. So through high school, my freshman year of high school, again, I was on all the ADHD medication and I cut it all cold Turkey disclosure. Don't do that. <laughs> don't cut out like medication, cold Turkey, cut it cold Turkey. And my mom gave me an ultimatum. She was like, you're either going to be on this medication or if you're going to be off it, one phone call from any teacher and you're right back on everything. So it was like, you either shut up and pay attention or you slip up and now we're right back to square one, right? Wow. I didn't know how to think and feel. I didn't know how to express myself, right? The very thing that I teach now is the one thing I didn't have. Uh, my escape was the gym, right? So the gym was my place. I had this weird like... Uh, philosophy of if I can drain myself physically in the gym, my mind doesn't have enough time to race. Not sure if that was like neurologically correct or if it was just placebo, it worked. <laughs> um, and so the gym was my first outlet being me. And so I attached a lot of my identity to it, right? When it came to going to the gym, I now placed all of my escapes, all of my avoidance, my negligence on, I'm going to take it out on the weights. I wouldn't learn anything from it right? I got the look, I got the abs, I got the cuts in the shoulders and everything. I didn't have me. Wow. I was so lost. And I've always been so keen on sharing things about the mind. I write a ton. I have over 2000 notes in my phone and that doesn't even include all the journals I've written in, right? Everything I've thought about, I've put on paper because I want to share with people. I want to share my thought process because I know that there's other people that think the same. 
the picture I wanted to post, I was not lean enough. I was not vascular. I wasn't big enough. My, my strength wasn't there. I wouldn't share. And so now I'm neglecting the part of myself that has true passion for something that has been a cover-up, right? The thing that got me in to being a better me and really understanding myself a little bit more. Cause I've been huge. I'm huge on like anything I read and do. I'm, I want to apply it to life. Right. And the fitness industry has a habit of saying the gym is just, is just like life. But when it comes to stepping out those doors, now you seem to forget a lot of those things. All right. And so I was like, I, I did a lot of applying and it got to a point where I had lost so much myself. I was 197 pounds, huge. All right. I was, I was natural, but I was huge. And I was, I would sweat going down the stairs. Once that happened, I was like, okay, something's got to change. But my whole page was built on it. My audience came from it. People love to see it. I got the likes, the comments, the shares. I had what your typical person on Instagram these days could dream of, but I didn't want any of it because I didn't have me. And so I competed in bodybuilding shows. Got, I, I was a fitness coach for a little bit as well. And when the quarantine hit, I saw it as a perfect opportunity. Gyms are closed. People have to focus on their mental health. Shifted yeah. all of my content, shifted my, I didn't really shift my message, but I more so just shared me, not my body, not any of that, but I shared my mind. And that's what I wanted to do. And engagement, everything plummeted. It's no longer the sex appeal. It's no longer the physical and the visual of that looks good. Now it's like, oh, I have to think now. <laughs> which is what a lot of people haven't done. Right? <laughs> and so uh, my relationship with the gym became very, very toxic. I did not know how to be in the gym and be there for just the physical aspect of my body without thinking, I don't want to be here because I don't want to fall back into that headspace of being a bodybuilder again, because that's not who I am. I'm more, I actually like more stamina and, and, and endurance training, but there were times where I would go to the gym, stretch, I'd be ready. My anxiety would set in. And this was when I was slowly starting to really understand more about myself. There was things I did, which we might get into it and we might not, we can talk about it off the camera as well, but it, it was the deer series where I wrote to all of my emotions that helped me back a lot. But before I did that, going to the gym, I'd have a whole anxiety attack. I'd be there for five to 10 minutes and the whole, oh, showing up is half the battle. Well, then it looks like I lost the other half because I would walk out. I would walk out. I'm just like, if I continue this workout, my anxiety is not going to get any better. If I push through it, it's only going to get worse. And I'm going to walk out thinking I should have just left when I had the chance. I should have, I should have, I should have. Shooting yourself. Bodybuilding was my entryway to really understanding who I was. It slowed my mind down enough to understand what was going on upstairs. But once that became my whole identity, I started losing more of myself. And I was sharing things that I didn't even practice. Because it was like, I'm here for the look. I'm here for the likes. I'm here for the comments. Now I could care less about any of that. But the responses I get these days are so much more meaningful like yeah. I actually discontinued my entire old page. I had like 22,000 followers. And I was like, despite the number, I'm not reaching people how I want. I'd rather start from scratch and have eight, nine, uh, eight to 900, maybe a thousand people that truly are here understanding what I do and what I have a passion for than 20,000 yeah. plus that could really care less. And so yeah. my, my relationship with the gym has been very bumpy. But at this point, at the end of the day, the gym only takes care of one thing. The physical aspect it can clear you up mentally right it can give you that change in environment from where stress and stuff was kind of sparked give you that escape to come back to it more refreshed and reset but the gym is going to take care of your heart health and your physical health but mental health your emotional health your emotional awareness your identity is built mm -hmm. outside of that right more so than anything so Yes. Thank you so much for breaking that down. You really do have a way of explaining things so well. Thank you. 
I think it's super cool when I was finding guests for the show, I'm like, I don't care about your follower count. And then like you like reached out, which I thought was really, this is just super cool that like you had it, you were like, I don't want it. And then like, yeah. you're starting from scratch. So I, one, I just love that Two, The story of being a male, being strong, being fit, having the abs, that's such a story. That's such a cultural, societal, gender role, gender perception story. And so that leads me into like, like, where do the stories, because you mentioned this in the beginning too of the episode, where do the stories that we don't write ourselves come from? Like, how do they get into our minds? How, like when you were born on the planet, you weren't born with the conception that like you had to be this 197 natural bodybuilder that needed like all this attention based off of how you looked physically. But mm -hmm. at some point you absorbed it. And yep. so it's not necessarily like, where did your story come from? But like, where do the stories come from? And like, how do they get in our minds without us knowing? 100% is what you're exposed to most, right? The things that you're, it's it's like, uh, oh my gosh, who said it? I want to say it's Warren Buffett. No, it was, it was one of the guys, uh, but he's like, you're who you associate yourself around uh, more. It's like, I think the five people that you associate yourself around with most, you become those people, right? I was around people who were in sports, who were in, uh, into the gym. Plus I was exposed to the very uh, toxic positivity, the pot, the toxic masculinity around get up, get it done, wake up at 5 a.m. And I was like, oh yeah, this has, this has to be the blueprint solid. Mm -hmm. And I did that until I realized Years down the road, I didn't realize until about a year and a half ago, that was an entire anxiety, an, an anxiety response. Because it was like, if I feel like if I don't do this, I'm not going to reach this or how this plays out is not going to end right. So it was like, I thought I was doing good. And it was perceived as like, this is good. I'm productive. I was busy. I wasn't productive. All right. And so I 100% believe, you know, the things that you're exposed to, you know, a poor man can't get rich by being around a bunch of poor people. Right now, I'm not making this about money, but like if you're not exposed to it, if you're not influenced by it, your mind has no reason to think that way. Right. So if you're exposed around the same things, you're typically going to attach pieces of yourself. You're going to resonate with a lot of it. Right. Because they all kind of start with being, you know, down bad or struggling or obstacles or being afraid or fear of failure and things like that. We attach ourselves to that because we've all endured it in some shape, way, or form. And mm -hmm. it's just how we did that. That we found that resonance to be like, okay, this is really nice. You know, I'm, I've, I feel, I feel like I belong somewhere. I feel like this, I feel like this belongs to who I'm meant to be. And for some people, it rides them all the way, and it's, it's, it's exactly what they want. But for some people, it can lead them down a path that leads them to more loss than understanding. And that's, that's what happened to me. I was, I was drawn to all the Eric Thomases of the world and all the, you know, big bodybuilders that would come on and they relate everything in the gym to life, but they don't apply anything outside of the gym to their life. So it's like, but that was me no matter what. And there was actually somebody, one of my friends in 2017, I was like, I'm stressed. I got to go to the gym. And she was like, you're going to the gym to avoid what's really going on. Like that's, that's your escape mechanism. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, no, I built myself from this, from ADHD. It's, it's, it makes me who I am. And I didn't recognize it until later down the road. I was like, oh yeah, makes yeah. sense now. So stories can be written by the things that we're exposed to the most often. Yeah. And you said something, God, oh my God, what was it? You said that the stories that are, so our stories can be built by 
basically what or who we surround ourselves with most. And -hmm. those stories can actually lead to more loss than to more understanding. Mm -hmm. And that is just so critical because we do do that as human beings, we mold to our environment to survive. It starts with our parents or our caregivers. We have to learn their language. We learn to eat and become accustomed to whatever is around us at the time. We learn our emotions and how to react and respond to them based off of how people interpret, react, and respond to the emotions that they experience and how they respond to ours. And so we feel as though we are getting more of an opportunity to be understood because we're speaking the same language in a variety of different ways to our environment. And we can understand our environment more because we can understand the languages that we are using in many different ways. However, we lose our self-identity and it's actually like down to the neurological level, like our ability, our brains have more connections when we're born than when we die, because over time, the connections that we don't use dissipate. And I just love that. So we can experience more loss than more understanding. And, And I just love that so much. And another thing that came up was how much, like you said, Eric Thomas, I have no idea who that is. And that is really important because whoever that is played such a major role in your story and what you forgot and what you lost And also what you perceived to understand. And for me, that influence, I literally don't even know who that is. And so that Mm -hmm. person didn't influence me. And it really just shows that what you surround yourself with and what you are exposed to in your environment helps you write your story, helps you understand or not understand your emotions and helps determine your level of emotional intelligence. And that's just such a good takeaway. It's so huge. And I think it's, it's almost like a long lost like trait. Like we learn about all these things in school. We learn about history, algebra, language arts, you know, Spanish, if you were in it, but there's not a single course or class that teaches you about you, not a single one. And so we're expected to go through 12 years of school just to jump right into another four or five, six years of college. You have more people spending tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars just to not do anything with it or just to realize this isn't who I am. And it's just like, I wish that there was like a break that was utilized in between high school and college where it's like college is quote unquote meant to get you into the real world. It's meant to set you on your path to whatever you're meant to do. If you're not ever really understanding of what you're meant to do and who you are and what's going to reflect you, how are you expected to do yeah. that? And so it's like acknowledging yourself, acknowledging, and even, you know, people who are listening to this are probably age groups of all kinds, right? You can stop at any moment and acknowledge the right now, because once you acknowledge right now, you give yourself a starting point. You give yourself a a chance to say, you know what, where I am right now, I'm not too proud of it, right? Where did I lose myself, right? What are some things that I know don't fit me? Who are some people that I hang around with just to be around people? What are some tasks or habits that I do just to do something just because I'm used to it? I don't like that. I would rather do this. I want to feel like this. I want to achieve this. All right. You now have a starting point. No acknowledgement, no starting point. So it's yes, it's it's a huge thing. You I the biggest thing I, I want to tell people is like understand yourself and learn about yourself. And you have to do that more often than not in solitude by yourself. Yeah. And, and from that, who you expose yourself with, what you end up doing 
will either be a reflection of that or you'll be like, I'm not really feeling the same about this anymore. And you're so right about the solitude thing because we don't want to be influenced by other effing people. It's like, you know, like, cause that's part of the problem. Right. I mean, and that's one of the benefits of therapy is like having that objective person that's like, we're trained to like your thoughts, your experience, like they matter and you should bring them into the room, but they should not inform what you tell that other person to do. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. It's like to not influence them and start to write their story for them because that, you know, that that's like illegal therapy. Like you should not do that, you know, (laughs) but I just love that. I think it's so important. Like, yeah, we do to a degree need to, to heal ourselves. We need Mm -hmm. to like be in solitude and determine for ourselves what it is that we really want. So I love that. What is like the biggest myth about emotional intelligence? And I just love that. It's like, I would almost accidentally said emotional awareness, but like, no, they are different. (laughs) Emotional awareness and emotional intelligence. So what is one, like the biggest myth about emotional intelligence that you want to tell the truth about today? Just because you know about your emotions doesn't mean you don't feel them. You still feel everything the exact same way as anybody else. You just know how to direct it. You know how to manage it, regulate it. And you, you recognize how to be, how to have it be in the back seat, but not the driver's seat. And so that's, that's a big thing. Cause I've heard in there, it's like, how, how are you so positive? How do you just not let things affect you? Well, it's not that I don't feel them in the first place. I understand where they're coming from. And it's just like, I know how to redirect. I know how to recognize it, dissociate myself from it and be like, okay, this is here. I'm going to let it flow. I'm going to observe it, but I still want to get to this. I still want to have a good day. I still want to have this good conversation. I still want to take this leap. And so just because you're emotionally mature or aware or intelligent doesn't mean you don't feel them. I'm in a glass case of emotion. You feel them. You just know how to feel. Yeah. I love that. And what I think what that also does is it gives permission for people that feel like they've advanced in their emotional intelligence stage or have like finally created like the next chapter of their life story that they always wanted to create. And then one day they like cannot handle how they feel emotionally. Like, and it just feels like, oh my God, like now I'm emotionally stupid. Like all my intelligence has gone out the window. Like I'm falling backwards. I'm regressing what's wrong with me. And like, that's not the truth. Like the truth is like, you may understand them fully. Doesn't mean you don't feel them. And sometimes you can feel them heavily and that's okay too. But in general, just being aware that the emotions still exist Like you don't label them and then they go away. You label them and learn how to utilize them. And that's not always going to be perfect every time. 100%. And I I think even more so you, whenever you can recognize them and and acknowledge that they're there, right? You don't have to become that emotion. You're still you. Right. All right. So whenever you can recognize these things, you can understand, okay, with this being present, okay, I can still move forward with whatever I'm trying to do, whatever I'm trying to accomplish, whatever. But it's also okay to say, okay, this is a little bit too much. I'm almost drained. I need to rest and just let this, let this subside, not let it be avoided and discarded, but let it subside. Like whoever told people that less rest is better. Huh? <laughs> no. Yeah. The industrial revolution. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, there have been times where it's like, I've had a whole day um, ahead of me, one after another, like you can recognize the emotion. That doesn't mean you can handle it. All of us have limits. 
If you say that you're limitless, you're lying to yourself. Whenever you can recognize where your limit is, you're not overexerting yourself to help this person to accomplish this because, oh, you're lazy if you don't do it today or you're unproductive if you're resting. Sometimes you just simply have to be, just be in the moment, just breathe, recognize your breathing, recognize some of the things in this moment and just let things subside and get back and get back to them in an hour or in a couple hours or even the next day because discarding them, not really recognize them or or becoming aware, you're creating a trigger. So whenever something happens, you're just going to put up a barrier on not being able to feel that. And that can cut off a lot of, a lot of connection, a lot of flow, a lot of productivity. And you're essentially going to be on a very narrow road when all the beauty comes from the journey and the things that kind of come along with it. Totally. My mind was just, I just wanted to like cut you off so many times just now because everything you were saying, I'm like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And like, so like I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it, Courtney. Like we're wrapping up on time. Don't do it. Breathe. We got this. Yeah, right. Like I'm emotionally aware that I am getting anxious and anticipatory and I'm going to be emotionally intelligent and I'm going to pause. Yeah. That's essentially the entire process, to be honest. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, what that tells me is that this was just an absolutely amazing conversation. And I Mm -hmm. appreciate you so much for showing up and sharing what you know. And I want to know, like, where are you at now? What is next for you? Where can people engage in your work? So, uh, well, there's a few questions there. So uh, as far as like right now, I am a full-time coach with emotional intelligence, behavioral management, self-awareness, all that good stuff. Um, I do that full-time. I'm blessed to have that full-time and I absolutely love it. All my clients are absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing. Um, As far as like social medias, you can find me at IG on Josiah's Perspectives. You can find my podcast at Flipping the Script Within You. Uh, Just released one over healing today too. So I was like kind of crazy. I was like, wow, it's just... It's a big day for, for podcasts. Um, but other than that, you know, that's essentially all the social medias I'm on. I'm on TikTok, but I just post the same thing that I put on Instagram. So there's really nothing new there. But no, I'm I'm genuinely at a place where I am in beautiful flow. I'm working on more certifications, working on trying to get more perspectives and more life experiences such as this, just to be able to add to, you know, my sense of, of connection and being human and having real conversations with people. Um, I, I could not be more appreciative for being able to hop on this podcast. I appreciate you for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you like killed it, honestly. I um, even now I'm like, what do I say? Like, what have I? <laughs> What's next? This, <laughs> this happens when I get really like, I just I'm really into it, and I'm I'm having to literally like mentally stop myself to so we mm-hmm. can end this conversation. <laughs> but I mean, we talked about so many wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things today. And what would you say is the biggest takeaway? I mean, we talked about like the myth of like breaking that down of like emotional intelligence, even if you are aware of them and understand them, you still feel them. But is there anything else like that you want to have the audience take away today before we close? <laughs> Honestly, we did cover a lot of stuff and my mind just went through every single thing that we talked about. So I was like, what do I want to say right now? Honestly, the best thing that I could kind of, that I can just kind of relate to people as we close up, the ability to feel is the ability to get closer to your inner freedom, Mm. right? A lot of you may feel like you are caged within your mind. You are simply caged within the parts that you never took time to understand or feel out or acknowledge. All right. So feel. Feeling is your way of being guided through this amazing life that we're all experiencing. Thinking and feeling literally directly influence how you act, how you behave, and the direction that you take your life. So if you haven't done much thinking or feeling, 
journal, voice it, do voice memos, right? That's going to be the best start to be able to understand and just acknowledge and recognize what exactly is going on upstairs. So feel. Yes. Feel so feel that's like the (laughs) best close ever, but we aren't fully closing yet. I have one final segment for the human first podcast and that is, oh my God, you're a human. Like no fucking way. Big surprise. We all are. So let's talk about it. What is one unapologetically human thing that you do that you wouldn't normally share, but that I'm making you share now? Jesus, my words are slurring now. <laughs> unapologetically human. I think I'm, I would have to, to double back. Well, uh, honestly, the most unapologetically human thing I would do if anybody wants to, like, like, if anybody is like recording for Instagram or trying to take a photo, let me take the photo for you. Let me be your hype man. Let me, let me allow you to lower this level of p- potential insecurity or fear. I'm about to hype you up. I will talk to people and I will blurt out comments of people who are dancing outside or people who are trying to record themselves. I'm just like, you got it. Go on. Right. It's just encouragement. Yeah. And being, being, being truth that not everyone is going is out there judging you. That is so cool because mine's like, one of mine's like the opposite of that. It's like, I like want to run away. Like whenever like there's any, and which is surprising because I show up all the time on camera and and photos, but like, I just want to like run away and hide. Like I could never be the hype man. I would, I would like feel the anxiety of the person that's like being filmed or recorded. And so I just love that because usually it's like, something like negative or something embarrassing. And like, I just love that you turned it into like, well, there's also like, there's, mm-hmm. there's the opposite. Yeah. Of like, I want to run and hide. And you're like, I'm jumping in to be the hype man. Like, yeah. let me help you out. And that's so cool. It's crazy because it's from that. It's because I know that they're feeling something and they're overthinking something. So it's just like, let's, let's alleviate a little bit of that. Like, we're not all here judging you. So it's knowing that I know what that's like. Cause I'll be like, or like record or whatever and so it's like i'll notice it and i'm just like you got it did you need someone to, to take the photo i can take the photo i can record you know whichever um or i'll just send some words of encouragement because i know that feeling and so yeah. it's crazy that you're like the opposite and like for me yeah it's wild <laughs> it's super cool especially because one of like the strongest survival mechanisms that humans have is cooperation and understanding mm-hmm. And like, that's exactly what you just like described. And like, I'm over here fucking running away, like from like, because I understand. So I love that. I love that so much. Thank you so much for coming on today. I will put everything that you mentioned in terms of where they can contact you in the show notes. So if you're listening, go to the show notes so that you can check up on all of Josiah's perspectives, his forgotten mindset, everything that he has to offer is on his website. You can actually work with him. So check it out. And as always, the way I close everything that you might be sick of, but I'm going to keep doing it. I am glad that you exist. Thanks for listening to this episode of Human First. Please subscribe, leave a review. It really helps with being able to keep this podcast free and share it on your social media to help spread the message. Tag me at the period truth period doctor. As always, I'm glad that you exist. See you next week.